Welcome to Keep IT Healthy Podcast, a show hosted by people making things happen in technology, aiming to optimize healthcare delivery, health, well-being, and fitness. My name is Jan Kaminski and I'm the co-founder of AppLover, a company dedicated to improving the quality of life with IT solutions and digital advisory. We started making this podcast to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Our guest today is Marco Altini, founder of HRV for Training. Welcome. Thank you, Jan. Pleasure to be here. Hey, um, we'll start with the question that we always ask. Uh, could you tell us the backstory um, and what brought you to this career path? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but I would say it's nothing that I had planned um, initially. Um, I studied computer science and engineering and um, I was going down that path. Um, but let's say that nothing really had triggered my interest in particular until the last year I had uh, the opportunity to work on what at that time we would call embedded systems. So these sensors that maybe could sense something from either the body or the environment, right? Now we have what we call wearables and we are all used to these sort of sensors that measure things on our body. But 15 years ago, we had none of this, right? So. I ended up doing some research um, with these sensors and capturing heart activity and brain activity and those sort of things from the body. And that really uh, triggered, I think, an interest into how to apply those skills that I had learned with you know, computer science and engineering to something that was linked to monitoring the body and how the body responds to different things, activity or stress and so on. And that then led to a bit of a different journey. So I then did a PhD um, on the use of these sensors for basically monitoring physical activity and estimating parameters related to physical health and cardiorespiratory fitness. Then I started two companies um, on a similar line. So monitoring the body in the context of stress and like um, let's say related to training with HIV for training, which is something that then um, actually brought me back to university to study also sports science, but later, many years later, uh, not as something that I had you know, planned as part of my initial path, let's say, but uh, mostly because I got interested in it while doing this type of work and working with clients that would rely on the technology. Um, and yeah, that, that's a bit, uh, I ended up now um, leading this small business and developing tools to measure physiological stress and HRV and something we might talk more about later and um, basically helping people managing stress um, in the context of training and lifestyle in general. But you started as a researcher, right? As a research, I mean, as a researcher, you also have a PhD in uh, data science. So was it, I mean, how, how did that happen as well? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So with the interest I had developed working with these tools and with these sensors, I then wanted to go a bit deeper. So that's why first I went uh, into a PhD that was still on the technical side of things. So using the data and developing algorithms and again, building um, ways to estimate parameters uh, linked to health and performance from the data we collect, monitoring the body and things like that. And after that, um, I think I always had a, 
the need to do something more applied. So instead of, you know, the basic research and the scientific research, which I found interesting, I also wanted to build something that people could use. So something that on a day-to-day, you know, you could just get on a phone, on an app or a sensor or whatever that is, and then use these tools to better understand, for example, how your body is responding to stressors and things like that. So then I went more into the development after my PhD um, and tried to build these tools that people could use and were not just, you know, papers that you could read. Yeah, but okay, so like you're an ex ex researcher in a sense, ex scientist, but and then you, you you became an entrepreneur. But are you aware you an athlete as well? Because I know you were. No, I wouldn't say so. I don't know how much professional. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Not professionally at all. So I love running and I do train and you know, I run marathons and some ultras. But um, and these are certainly fueled part of it, right? So it's a big passion of mine and the interest I have. I've not been blessed with much talent, I would say. So you know, I cannot really uh, perform at the level that others can. But at the same time, uh, it's been really interesting. I think as part of the process to see also how applying these things would impact um, myself or how what I could learn from using them. Um, and this has certainly, be, certainly been a, a key part of the process, I would say, over the years. Sure. And what was your longest ultra, out of curiosity? Oh, I just ran, uh, I, I ran a few weeks ago, 100 kilometers. So that, that's it for right. now. Nice, nice. Long enough that's- for me. Yeah, so that's actually, I mean, you use the experience, actual experience in your work as well. I mean, yeah, because, yeah, for sure. We'll definitely come back to that, by the way. But so focusing on the on the business itself, uh, if you can tell us more about the HRV for training in general, and most importantly, how it utilizes the heart rate variability, right? Because that's probably the the, the where the yeah. sort is coming from so how does it work to provide insights for you know stress quantification because you mentioned that probably training balance performance improvement like how does it work in general yeah so when we look at heart rate variability it's basically a proxy to stress so when we face a stressor the body has a certain response which causes uh for example heart rate to slightly increase and heart rate variability to reduce. So we cannot measure stress directly like this entity, and we cannot really measure the nervous system which responds to stress, but the nervous system will impact heart rhythm. And that's something we can measure. So basically we look at this parameter because it's a proxy of the stress response, and that can help us understand how we respond things like training but actually all sorts of other stressors that are in our life so with hrv for training we basically built at this point 10 years ago the first sensor well the first app that could measure your hrv without sensors so just using the camera sensor of the phone you could capture not only your heart rate but also your heart rate variability so you can take a spot check measurement putting your finger on the back camera of the phone. And then that after a minute quantifies your heart rate variability. And as you do that every day, the system starts to learn what is your normal variability. And when you're more stressed, for example, that your variability reduces, that is something that can be flagged so that you can, for example, 
um, take action and implement some changes either in your training or in your lifestyle. Okay, yeah, I want I want to dive deeper in that because sure. I know that one of the unique features of of your product is its ability to assess the HRV as you mentioned using the phone's camera, right? So you eliminate the need of the heart rate monitor that's usually or commonly used. But when you talked about this a little bit, but could you explain like how this technology works in particular and how accurate it is, most importantly, in comparison to the traditional, you know, the methods of measurements? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the way this works is that, of course, when your heart beats, blood flows in your body, right? And then um, by using certain technologies like dedicated sensors, but also even just a camera on your phone, you can, uh, you can capture the way um, that basically lights reflects differently on blood vessels when blood is flowing, right? So using the flashlight, you illuminate the skin and then using the camera, you record a video. And this is something we cannot really see just with naked eye, just by looking at it, right? But with mm-hmm. the sensor, basically the signal, um, the light will be absorbed differently when blood is, is flowing through. And that allows you to reconstruct these signals that captures blood flow through the finger. And again, since blood is flowing when the heart is beating, you can reconstruct heart activity by measuring it at the periphery just by illuminating basically the finger and then capturing um, the signal. This is not different from what you have now in all sorts of uh, watches, for example, that have uh, optical sensors where you might see uh, lights that are typically green or red. So these lights have dedicated sensors instead of using the flash like in the phone, but they serve the same purpose. So they illuminate the skin where you have the capillaries, so your small blood vessels. And then there is another sensor that is basically detecting the change in light absorption or reflection um, when the blood is flowing. And then you reconstruct basically what is um, the signal that is coming from um, the heart activity and heart rhythm. And from there, heart rate variability. Okay, and this product is mainly, I mean, it's mainly for athletes or all the amateur, you know, amateur athletes or rather professional athletes, or it doesn't matter, it's for everyone as a as a Yeah, a I would say, indeed, I would say it doesn't really matter despite the name, which is, you know, geared initially uh, towards athletes, but we all experience stress, right? So for some, it might be training stress. For others, it could be other forms of psychological stresses. It could be some lifestyle behaviors. It could be simply that maybe we are getting sick. For the body, it doesn't really matter. The stress response is the same. Heart rate variability changes in the same way. So even if you do not care at all about training, actually, this data point still allows you to capture your stress response in relation to the other stresses in your life. That's why it can be, I think, beneficial to be tracked and, and analyzed, uh, even by you know people that don't really care about training. Okay, but for now, I know that you have over one hundred thousand users, which is amazing, by the way. But what's the the majority is professional or like professional athletes, or the majority is like normal people? I mean, not saying that professional athletes are not normal people, but I mean, you know, like regular, regular yeah. amateur athletes. 
Or yeah, yeah, for sure. The most is uh, is recreational athletes for sure, and that there are a good number of professionals and professional teams and things like that. But you know, those are typically few by definition, right? The elite right. Uh, athletes is not so many. So yeah, we rely mostly on regular people like ourselves in using these tools um, to better manage stress. Okay, and, and can you can you share some you know success stories from the athletes or maybe teams? Who have used the product uh, in their in their training? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think in many occasions we have seen how the tools always combine, of course, with other things. Like this is not the only instrument that they use can be helpful in fine tuning um, training in different circumstances. I'm thinking now we had, um, for example, the Olympics in Tokyo, right? We had uh, a bit of a special environment, so it was particularly hot. Was also delayed by one year. There's also long travel coming in for many athletes that need to get there, and we've worked with many athletes and teams that have used the data to make some adjustments um, in the context of seeing how the body responds, for example, to these additional stressors. Right. So some athletes might. I think the interesting bit is that it's so individual, right? So you fly your entire team on the other side of the planet, but then. Some might be fine in a day or two. Some might take a week. Some might struggle more or less with the heat. And that's the type of signal that then allowed some of them, you know, to make some adjustments at the individual level so that they get all of the athletes and players basically ready when, it, when it's time to compete. When it comes to the users, any tips on how did you grow such a number? <laughs> how, how <did> it? <laughs> it was uh, it was just a very slow organic growth so a bit oh, different yeah. from yeah what others would do it's been now 10 years we are actually now reaching maybe 200,000 in, in this year so I think it's been uh, just word of mouth and people talking and we we used a bit of a different approach so very scientific at the beginning uh, you know, writing papers and validating the tool, its accuracy with respect to other tools. Um, and then uh, it's been, uh, yeah, as uh, slow as um, allowed us also to work on the product and maintain it independent and basically build what we wanted to build as well as without, you know, deviating much from that because of other other goals so i think uh, it has been uh, yeah a journey a bit challenging always of course when you decide to do things that way but uh, yeah it's um, it's been good so far i mean how does the hrv for training stand out from other health and per- performance technologies on the market because I, I know there are a few of them you even mentioned right a few but like what's what's, yeah, what's yeah. your core usp yeah, for sure. So at the beginning, I would say it was mostly the ability to measure without sensors. And maybe that's still what remains um, the main reason why people would be interested. So the fact that you don't need other things, you don't need to buy other things. And at the same time, um, that this has been validated. So there are papers showing that when you have um, an electrocardiogram, so one of the systems used in the hospitals to measure heart activity with you know electrodes and gel and everything, um, and compared to the systems that we have developed, they provide the same data for this application of monitoring HRV at rest, and therefore mm-hmm. it can be trusted. While this is not typically the case for most of the tools out there, so I think. This is also why the reason 
why organically grew um, starting from researchers and scientists and, and teams and athletes that were already familiar with the technology and just found a simpler way to track it. And of course, now the market is a bit different. There are a lot of bigger players that allow you to also track these kind of things. Uh, for example, why you sleep with wearable sensors and so on. So I think we don't directly compete, even if it is the same application. Um, it's a bit of a different user, the one that wants the wearable and that type of solution, and the one that is, is happy to just have a simpler system, take their measurement first thing in the morning as we provide. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I would say, our bit of the strengths. So the camera-based measurements and the scientific accuracy, and then also the way the data is interpreted now, I think has changed a lot over the years. and. Um, reflects maybe a bit better also what is the scientific consensus on these metrics with respect to what you see in some of the other tools. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some wearables. And I wanted to ask you as obviously you're in the, as an expert in the field, but how would you foresee, I know you're not directly connected with like wearables, but still how would you foresee the future of wearables and their role in health and performance in general? Uh, in many cases, they can be helpful because they allow us to collect data over time, longitudinally, right? So this is very different from how things were done in the past, both in health and in performance. And in health, it's still done this way, probably. It's like you do a, a check, you know, with your doctor and you monitor some parameters and then you do that after one year and basically you are missing everything that is happening in between. So with wearable sensors that can provide some accurate measurements of important parameters, like could be your heart activity or, you know, your blood glucose, all sorts of things. I think we can get a better picture of what is happening in the body in different situations. And we might be able to handle and, and manage our health more proactively. And similarly, in terms of performance and in terms of performance, I think we are a bit ahead for certain things, right? These things have been used for longer. Um, it can be slower to have adoption in, in healthcare, but at the same time, I think these sensors are obviously here to stay. There is more and more, they're smaller, they're easier to wear, they're more accurate over time. So I think that's how um, they, they will lead to um, an approach in which we are at least more aware of how the body responds to different things. And maybe we are able also to implement some good changes that will allow us to improve um, our health and our performance depending on what we are interested in. Right. And I want to come back to the, because you mentioned that at the beginning of our conversation today, so managing stress. And also, you know, I want to come back to more of a health side of it. So could you expand um, on the role of HRV in general in managing stress and improving performance for, for mainly recreational athletes? But you also mentioned that as a improving performance for all right so could you expand on, on, on yeah. that role yeah i would say that the main difference between maybe professionals and, and recreational athletes typically is that recreational athletes of course do not only train as their main occupation so they have a lot going on they might squeeze training you know before work they might have additional stressors as a matter of fact and for that reason sometimes it's actually more useful to use HRV in this context, as opposed to a professional athlete that can dedicate all their time to training and recovery. Because mm -hmm. maybe the recreational athlete can be 
under-recovered, might be not sleeping what they need, they might be training whenever they have time, and then there's work and other stressors. So HIV can be used to get an idea of how these stressors are impacting us in a way that we can make sure we can balance things a bit better whenever it's possible, because that would allow us our training to have a better impact, right? Because if we do the training, but our body is under a great deal of stress, we will not respond positively to that stimulus and we will not improve. So we are doing the training, but it's not really working for us. And that because we are not balancing all the stressors that are playing a role in our life. So that's how I think HRV can play a role, um, both for recreational athletes and for professionals. For professionals, there's a greater also awareness typically. So it could be that it's more of a, a confirmatory feedback that things maybe are going well, but sometimes you could also spot potential issues in advance, right? Uh, things going wrong, even just getting sick, these kind of things can be seen in the data in a way that can allow us to also make meaningful adjustments. I mean, the, the term is widely used in sport. I mean, HRV, obviously, but in everyday life, it isn't. And not many people know that it's actually connected with stress. And that's, a, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think uh, one of the reasons there is that with training, it's easy to manipulate the stressor, right? That's why it's a good application. Because then if stress is high, you can reduce training intensity or volume or whatever but outside of training it might be a lot more difficult to change the stress right if you have an issue with your family if you have an issue at work all sorts of issues that might be chronic and long-lasting or with your health the data is still informative but then what you can do about it is sometimes less it can be difficult um, or less motivating even to just keep up the practice of looking at this data and seeing what we can do so i think there it can be informative but it can be also more challenging to to use it mm -hmm. and how important uh is personalization when it comes to interpreting the the, the data the hrv data yeah. and and how do you ensure it in the, in the company yeah that's a great question because uh, this is also one of the common misconceptions about hrv and people measure it and maybe they try to compare the numbers they get with others, but this is not really how HRV works. So when we measure it once, we have not learned anything about us because it's just not so meaningful at the absolute value. So the only way to use it is actually for the same person to collect data over time daily so that we can establish what is your HRV and how it changes over time. And that allows us to basically build what we would call a normal range. We can think about other parameters where we have normal ranges for the population. For example, you know, a range for blood pressure that we know should not be too high or too low. Same for blood glucose. For HIV, it's the same. But this range is not for everyone. It's your own specific range that can be learned only by collecting data for a while. Then we determine what is normal for you. That's how the software does it. And then it's easier to understand when there is a change that is outside of your normal range so that you can um, take action. And you, as a runner yourself, did you apply your insights on the you know, HRV to your personal training? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think for me, it was particularly useful to understand that the stressors that were really creating more problems were not really training related, right? Because we always focus a lot on training, but stress is stress, right? And for someone that maybe is running a business or doing a sort of other things, then work might be the main stressor. And maybe certain situations in which things are a bit more challenging would have a much larger impact on my physiology that I could see in the data with respect to, to training itself. So in that, it allowed also to you know, get some awareness on what are the things that maybe you might need to manage a bit better um, and be you know, less impacted by. Uh, and, and that for me, and I think for many others that are not professionals, was work more than, uh, more than training. Mm-hmm. And did you test it on the, like when you were beta testing or testing your MVP, did you test it on the athletes? How this, I mean, how did this process look like? Yeah, so we developed the software and then um, basically started just by launching the app to a few people that were interested, started growing again slowly and organically among the mostly I would say the researchers and, and scientists working within the field uh, and some athletes that were already into this kind of things 10 years ago, which was not so many. Yeah. And then uh, getting feedback also on yeah, right, how what is, uh, um, how the data is capturing you know, the response to training or to other stressors and what kind of things would be useful to track alongside it. And that's why the tool has evolved a lot over the years, right? Because it's important, of course, to look at the physiology, but that is only one aspect, right? We need also to contextualize it because if you just have the physiology, you don't know actually what is behind the changes. So you need context, you need to understand what is happening in terms of lifestyle, in terms of behavior, subjectively, are you feeling or sort of things, if you're traveling, if you're getting sick. So then the tool allows you to track all those sort of uh, things um, that you can use to contextualize the data and interpret it more and more effectively. And this was all a process, I think, that um, led by feedback and, and interactions with, uh, with early adopters and users over the first years. Yeah, and you said 10 years ago, that's, that's fine. Would you say that now sport tech and sport industry is, you know, crazy about that, that data or nothing? Ch- I, mean, <laughs> I think uh, it has changed, but uh, it's nowhere near where you'd expect it to be. Sometimes even from outside, you'd think that, you know, elite teams or clubs use all sorts of things and Sometimes not at all. Sometimes some data is collected, but it's not really used for anything. Um, I think it's really still early for for the data to be used effectively in many contexts. Um, There is more, it's easier to collect, it's easy to process. Things are moving, some groups are working very well. Um, Others are exploring it, others are not looking at it uh, at all. So I think it's still, Still, the early days. Even if we talk about it a lot, it's not something that is uh, that is that common. Okay, we, we I think in the past podcast we had a conversation with Michael from Svexa, also data like data management tool, and and uh, and I asked him this question, so I want to also give get your opinion on that. Is it in your opinion? Is it because in some sports, so basically technology is not there yet because there is no 
money or there is no tech knowledge or it's combined. So when there is technology, there usually has to be some money, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. I think uh, the knowledge also is a big gap. So the educational side of things um, is not there yet. Um, many of the sports sciences that people that study uh, sports science at university do not get any um, any background in how to use data or how to code or manipulate data. And it's not that everyone has to do that, right? There are many roles in the, in a team that is fine, but when there is no education at all that you can even choose to learn this kind of things, then of course it's going to be difficult. So one side that is uh, the inability maybe sometimes of actually using it effectively. Other times for specific technologies, for example, heart rate variability, there is also a topic that is not maybe um, universally present, let's say in again in courses at universities and things like that. So also that type of knowledge is missing. So both the physiological part and the technological part, that's not necessarily there. And then I see that it's not really at that point an issue of budget for the team. It's more an issue of having a person there that is familiar with this kind of things and and knows what to do. Because for example, we work with, um, let's say, coaches and uh, staff that is sometimes at the highest level and sometimes just with recreational athletes. And if they know what they're doing and they have an interest in these metrics and and topics, they work as effectively. It does not have to be, you know, it is not linked to how good the team is or how good the athletes are. It's just all about the person involved having the, the required knowledge because the tools are also quite cheap and cost-effective these days, especially apps and things like that. Um, but the, yeah, I think the educational part is, is something that uh, needs to be a bit more present, either in regular education or, or via other channels. Um, it's, it's important. So it's like some coaches have their own ways. They just don't believe in that. They know that it worked for 30 years. They don't need new tools or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fine, right? Experience matters as well. But at the same time, I think dismissing old technology is not the way to go in the future, right? I think we need to be critical, understand what can be used, what can be looked at a bit more with skepticism and what can be, you know, helping us. But at the same time, yeah, we cannot just pretend that this is not happening, right? Um, I want to jump to the, because obviously we covered, I mean, we talked about your product. I want to also talk about you uh, as well. Um, I know you've been advising and working for many, many, many brands in sport tech in general. So I want to dive deeper into that. So I know you were working with Aura for a while. And could you elaborate on your work with Aura, especially in the development of the yeah. next generation sleep staging algorithm as you, um, uh, as I, when I was doing research, as I saw it. But it sounds very interesting. And probably it's also connected with your current product. So if you could g- g- give us some insights. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been working with Aura for the past three years. I think it's been uh, yeah, a great opportunity to also to learn more for me uh, about everything that is sleep and tracking sleep and uh, how we can use technology in that context. And a few years ago, 
um, we basically worked on this new algorithm that was actually just released, I think, uh, this week or last week to all users. So that's was quite nice to see it actually in the hands of people. Um, the way this worked, I think it was quite, um, quite new with respect to what was um, on the market at this point or today, because we were able to collect a lot of data from uh, different partnerships with different universities in different continents. So you get, you know, people with different backgrounds and um, sleep habits, I would say also, and collect that data so that you can build an algorithm that could be potentially more uh, accurate across a broader range of people. So the, the algorithm was actually validated with respect to you know, the standard um, PSG systems are called, the ones where you use you know, brain waves and eye movement and those other things to track sleep in the night, so in the sleep lab, and uh, had accuracies that were far better than what was on the market up to that point. So I think it was a good step forward. Um, thanks to, you know, using, again, signals that are representative of changes um, that happen in the brain with sleep stages, but you can capture some of these changes just using um, autonomic activity, like we were saying before, in terms of heart rate variability. Different heart rate variability metrics are used in this algorithm together with movement and uh, temperature or sort of things that allow us to approximate what is happening in the brain in different sleep stages and, and capture those. So that's a bit, um, yeah, the work that we did on the project. And then it took some time because, you know, from coding something to actually putting it in the product, which is a tiny ring with certain specifications is, is complex and to validate that further, make sure that it remains accurate. So it's uh, yeah, it's been quite a quite a process, but I'm I'm really glad that um, that's finally out there because maybe we can get to study sleep also a bit better with these tools, right? We have uh, one of the main limitations I think with regular sleep studies is that you get people in the lab, monitor them maybe a day or two, and they have a device on that is not really allowing them to sleep the way they would normally at home. While with these sensors, maybe we can get some, some better insights if they are accurate uh, in the context of how sleep changes in different uh, situations. So you were working on it for three years and now it's live. I mean, for a while at least. Yeah, yeah, correct. Okay, okay, interesting. And I mean, you have a history of, as I saw it during the research, you have a history of, consulting for other companies you know to enhance their products obviously like including for example Strava's right uh, and to be exact yeah. Strava relative effort the feature could you elaborate on yeah. that work for example in this project yeah yeah for sure so that one we did it a few years back I don't know if it was maybe four or five years ago um, we were looking at how could we quantify effort in a uh, workout in a way that is meaningful also across different athletes of different levels and also different disciplines. So if you are a runner or a cyclist or sort of things, like it's, uh, it's not so easy to use certain signals to quantify effort because the way, for example, your heart rate changes when you do different sports could not be the same. So it could differ in a way that you cannot just use the same method in both and quantify 
similar efforts in the same way. So there we used, I think, some clever strategies to try to resolve this issue. For example, we looked at data from triathletes where you have um, both running and cycling, maybe in a race, so a hard effort. So you could see how the physiology or the exercise changes in uh, these two disciplines for the same person while going at a similar high intensity or relative intensity. And then you could try to match and normalize basically heart rate differently in the two activities so that eventually you could get a similar effort, effort number or relative effort uh, uh, out of these activities, even if they were different. Um, and that's a bit the work that we did there to try to quantify basically the impact of a workout. It's not something that is always um, easy, right? We know there are certain limitations uh, when taking this approach and using a single number to quantify what, what happened in a workout as opposed to looking at different aspects of it. But eventually, I think uh, yeah, it was um, decent work that uh, tried to get uh, a bit better at, at that process in particular. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And are you open for advisory? I mean, if there is a startup founder <laughs> listening to us, are you are you open to 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 get into the jump it on and help out? Because I know you 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 have a history of that. Yeah, yeah, could be. It depends always on you know uh, availability, resources, time, and uh, projects. But uh, in general, I'm, I'm I like to. Uh, you know, get a little uncomfortable myself exploring these uh, different areas that are not exactly what I'm doing with our company and, and seeing uh, if I can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And what would be the, like, if there is a founder like that, so like an entrepreneur that's aiming to make a difference in health tech space, what would be the good advice that you would give him? I mean, I probably researching background helps of course but like what would be the, yeah, the yeah. general advices that you would give them yeah i would say that um regardless of your own background probably for certain fields especially in health technologies and things like that establishing very good relationships with certain important stakeholders i would say like universities that might help you you know doing the researcher proving that whatever you want to build or are building is actually effective, um, as well as you know other other entities, hospitals, and places where also research is carried out, but then also validated so that you can basically build something that is evidence based, right? Because you want to uh, prove that uh, whatever idea you have or tool you have or approach you have. Uh, is effective in uh, improving outcomes, for example, in certain situations. So I would say definitely trying to establish these relationships early on. Yeah, there, there will always be a need for data and validations of whatever approach you are using. So I think it's important to have that type of network and setup so that you can do that type of work, um, which cannot typically just be done internally, especially in a startup and limited resources but even in larger companies normally you need this kind of relationships uh, going on how would you know how would machine learning change or maybe not even machine learning itself but like data uh would change um, the sport and medicine in the forthcoming years with the focus on sports so like improving uh, improving trainings athletes more monitoring etc etc 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in different aspects, probably we can uh, we can uh, envision certain applications related to simply understanding better how the training is impacting the athlete, right? So monitoring how there are different responses of different athletes in different situations, not only the training, but also the environment we are in or other aspects that we might manipulate, right? So if we change the environment, let's say the heat altitude, or we change the diet or we change training, the way these things interact with the body differs with respect to when you consider just one at a time. So using the data and the response of the body, you could try to capture these relationships better and also individualize better, right? Because not everyone will respond in the same way. So maybe you change something for one athlete, but you don't change it for the other and things like that. Um, and in a way also, I would say how we can prescribe different things aiming for a certain change. So now maybe we collect data and monitor it changes in response to what is done, but we do not know what to expect sometimes. So we do not know, not know what the response will be, but maybe we want a certain response. And what shall we do in terms of training and other stressors, for example, to get that response? I think that's something that is not there yet. And maybe with more data and different tools, um, we might be able to get to a point where we can influence also what the data and the response will be um, in, a, in a way that we cannot right now. So in general, that will be like ultra individualization and ultra personalization of trainings, of performance, of, of diet, of everything, but per per athlete, per uh, per team, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And similarly, I would say if we look at uh, outside of professional environments, uh, it could be even simpler things like um, making it easier for um, an individual to have a, a plan, a personalized plan of uh, what to do and things like that right now. Yes, you can work with a coach, but then um, that's not something everybody can do or can afford. And maybe if we can automate part of the process um, with artificial intelligence tools and things like that, it could be that combined with the data and the response of the athlete, we can build maybe this type of um, programs that can adjust and help individuals get better in health and in performance uh, while reducing also the burden on you know coaching and staff and hospitals because obviously there's not enough people to coach everybody but then with the right tools we might be able to automate part of the process so that people are able to manage their health or performance a bit better when it comes to technology because yeah i, I also meant that so not only athletes but also uh non-professional I mean, people that just might use this technology, not, not only athletes, but would you say that when it comes to tech savviness and tech adoption, is it like sport professionals have, have it first and then it goes wider into the, let's say, amateurs, et cetera, et cetera, or it's other way around? So usually the amateurs use a lot of tech because they're trading, they're usually, and then it goes into sport. What would be your take? Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, well, I think it can be both ways. Uh, sometimes um, it's, yeah, it's not necessarily linked to your level. Some people just uh, have an interest in looking at this kind of things and they will use all sorts of things, uh, even if they are just uh, amateurs and recreational athletes and others maybe as professionals, they 
try to dismiss sometimes some of these technologies, others use it. So I think it's all over the board. Um, but yeah, it's probably helpful for most people to at least be aware of what's available, what can be trusted, what cannot be trusted so much, and you know, so that you can focus your energies on, on the right things because it's also can be overwhelming, right? You can measure anything these days. So maybe that you it's also easy to get lost if you're not maybe an expert in all these kind of things. So yeah. um, at that point, you know, sometimes it's, it's a good thing also to just take a step back. Yeah. And we always ask this um, because we're two founders in, in our podcast. And since we are uh, slowly leaning, to, leaning towards an end, um, we always ask about advices. So like, three pieces of advice would you give to yourself at the beginning of your scientific and business career? And but they might be more general. That what will be the advice that would give to any founder that wants to get into the yeah the tech world. yeah for sure. Um, well, I would say staying focused certainly uh, matters a lot, right? There's uh, I think it's it's important that you are ready to change course, but at the same time you need to know more or less where you want to go, right? Because otherwise it's easy maybe um, if you're not focused on, you know, whatever is your mission and, and where you want to go um, to get derailed by, you know, periods in which things are not going too well or others that might have slightly different ideas from you or other stakeholders and things like that. So maintaining, I think, the focus and the vision probably of what you want to do and where you want to go, I think is quite important. Um, that would be maybe the, the main one. Um, yeah, together with what we talked about before in terms of um, uh, establishing good relationships, right? It's uh, it's not something you can do by yourself, right? <laughs> there is always a need of a network and, uh, and people that uh, you can work with and uh, collaborate with and build projects where, you know, you have common goals and then get there together. So I think that's, uh, that's really important, trying to establish a good network, um, which could be, you know, anything from, uh, again, the research side of things to the business side of things, or depending on also where you spend most of your time, right, in your team or in your business, that could differ a bit. But I would say the network side, uh, the relationships very important as well as you know your vision and and, and your focus in the, in what you're building. Okay, and uh, one last question. I I mean, do you sometimes miss the scientific career or not really? <laughs> <laughs> I must say yes. I'm, uh, so I I. I used to still do something, maybe, you know, some research or paper uh, per year or something like that. I hadn't had the opportunity in the past year, uh, maybe a year and a half, and I do miss it a bit. So, you know, never say never, maybe in the future there will be more of that again. Maybe you'll come back. Maybe you'll come back. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I hope you will one day when you, you know, maybe exit or, or you will have more time. I know probably for now it's just impossible. But Marco, thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing all those insights. That was quite inspiring. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. It was my pleasure. Stay in touch with us. Subscribe to our podcast. Give us a like, comment or share. If you want to reach out personally, you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram.